The Jet Set Breakfast with Michelle Constant. So if you go onto a website called The Conversation, it always features a series of different articles and that uh, website address is theconversation.com. And uh, the articles are written by academics and people who are specialists in the world that they work in. There was an article by Olivia Durant, and she wrote specifically about the um, invasion of Ukraine. And I'll just read you the opening of the article where she says, The Russian president made his intention crystal clear in an hour-long and fairly wide-ranging speech on February the 21st. Quote, unquote, Ukraine is not just a neighboring country for us, he told the Russian people in a national broadcast. It is an inalienable part of our own history, culture and spiritual space. He repeatedly denied Ukraine's right to independent existence and at times that the country existed exists at all as an independent entity. Instead, he appeared to accept the unity of the two countries as historical fact. Is this the reason that uh, what we are looking at when we look at this conversation? Well, on the line, we've got Helmut Heitman, who is a defense analyst. Helmut, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Morning. Helmut, the um, invasion of Ukraine, and some people say it is simply a dispute, but it is, in fact, an invasion of a sovereign state, is based on what? Let's try and get some simple understanding of that. Okay, well, on, you can argue how it's based. Putin has his version. He, he wants to re- recreate the former Russia, the former Soviet Union, without the Soviet part, perhaps. Um, so he's arguing that it's, it's always, or for most of its history, been part of Russia and needs to be part of Russia again. Uh, which, that's his view, it's his argument. He's got some historical facts behind it, I suppose. On the other hand, it, it sort of simply ignores the fact that maybe people don't want to be part of Russia. That's one side of it. The more practical side is, well, he, I suppose they would argue there's a strategic thing. It gives them depth again in case Russia gets invaded again, which helped them against Hitler and Napoleon. On the other hand, Russia has always been an expansionist power. So it could also take a different view and say it's a springboard to move east, uh, to move west again. But his argument is gives them the uh, defensive depth. They need that. That's why Belarus has got to be brought back into the, the fold and largely has been. And he's going to look maybe at Kazakhstan, places like that. There's a practical argument to that, military argument. Whether it's legitimate is another question in international law, it isn't. But certainly it's, it's an argument from his point of view. The other aspect that I think, and probably the more actual, accurate, accurate one, Putin seems to want to bring back the glory days of Russia as a superpower. And he doesn't have a lot of time to do it. The population is aging and shrinking. The economy is shrinking. It's going to shrink a lot faster as the, the population shrinks and ages. So he's got a limited amount of time. Also, he's 69, so he's got a limited amount of personal time to achieve it. And is therefore moving rather more rapidly than what he might otherwise do. It's not bothering about asking people anything. So I think it's a little bit of a, a Russian come Putin ego trip more than anything else. Helmut, we need to go to a break, but when we come back from the break, um, I think that what a lot of us forget is, and you've, you've highlighted it, we say, you know, that that um, that maybe Putin is hailing back towards what he perceives as the glory days of the USSR, the United Soviet um, Union. Uh, and yet, we a lot of us seem to assume that he's simply wanting to go back to a Russia of today. I wonder if you could maybe clarify that. We'll go to the break, and when we come back, maybe you could just uh, answer that. Michelle Constant on SAFM. 
We're chatting to Helmut Heitmann, who is a defense analyst and uh, focusing on the Russian invasion into Ukraine, trying to understand it and make it a little clearer for ourselves, because I think a lot of people are making assumptions, have made assumptions, and are even unsure as well. Helmut, let's talk about what you mentioned, that this is for um, Putin an opportunity, or he sees it as an opportunity to go back to what he might uh, regard as the glory days, which is not the um, capitalist Russia that we know today, because that is really in many ways what it is. But it was a communist, uh, a, a communist country many, many decades ago. Look, I, think, I don't think he's necessarily harking back to communism per se, although he's a little bit of a dictator himself. <laughs> but he is harking back to the original large Russia. Yeah. Um, you know, partly, partly exotic. I mean, he has, right, right at the beginning of his time, he argued that the collapse of the Soviet Union was a, the greatest sort of strategy in, in modern history. And I suppose, you know, some, some Brits would have argued that the, the collapse of the British Empire or the end of the British Empire or something like that. Yeah. And Russia or the Soviet Union was a bit of an empire, much like the Austro-Hungarian Empire before World War I. Yeah. It didn't have lots of foreign colonies, but it had absorbed lots of countries around it. If you go back, I mean, Russia, I mentioned earlier, has been expansionist for almost in its entire history. Uh, mainly, not like the Brits going by sea, because obviously they couldn't, they didn't have ice-free harbors, but overland. Westward, they took various chunks, they tried to take chunks of Poland after World War I. Yeah. Um, eastward a lot. And clearly, you know, that he harks back to that. And I think it's, it's partly, maybe I'm being unkind to the man, but I think it's partly also a personal thing. He wants to be the boss man of a, of a great power again. The other factor, though, with Russia's economy in trouble, and it is in trouble, and oil and gas prices recently have kept it floating, um, maybe we're also looking at a situation that we've seen in the past with countries and empires, when they're in trouble at home, they look for a foreign adventure. Hmm. Then you can beat the patriots and drum, wag the flag, uh, you can toss people in prison if they object, and you can send others off to go and quietly get killed in a distant place where they don't bother you. And you get that over the years, lots of countries have done that. Even if you go back to Portugal in the 60s, 70s, all the, the lefty students, they called up into the army and sent off to African colonies to go and fight. Yeah, that one backfired because they, they got even more banks than liberal and they came in the next stage to coup d'etat. But it's an old history. You find a foreign adventure and you send people off there and you can make the whole thing patriotic and beat the drums and do that. So I think we're looking at a mix of things. Yeah. He wants to cre- recreate the big Russia. He can use this to beat up support for himself despite a, a failing economy, or not a failing economy, but a troubled economy. And he, I'm pretty sure he genuinely does want the strategic depth. Um, just he's going about it maybe the wrong way. He should rather try to have friendly allies than subservient states. Yeah. I mean, I uh, think, know, the Russians have I, I think everyone has been... Um, uh, well, certainly I have. And I mean, when when Volodymyr Zelensky, who's the president of um, Ukraine, was was appointed, I mean, there was that whole story um, about him being a comedian and actor, and yet he's really stepped up to the plate in so many different ways. Well, yeah, there's, a, there's an, example, uh, an example from the past for that, Ronald Reagan. Although people forget something, Reagan was actually a politician much longer than he was an actor. You know, he was at the end of the Actors' Union, Swing and Screen Actors Guild. He was governor of California and then became a president. Yeah. And he was a very successful president for the United States. So, yeah, I suppose being an actor doesn't, doesn't stop you. And certainly Zelensky has stepped up to the plate. But the problem was, of course, the, the removal, not of his predecessor, but the president before that, 
um, offended the Russians as well because he was their man. Yeah. You know, and they, they now lost their man. You know, and Belarus, they still have a president who does as he's told. Yeah. And they, they're missing that. So I think, you know, we mustn't, we mustn't think that Putin has gone crazy. He's, I, think, I personally think he's made a bad mistake. But I don't think he's mad. He's, and I don't suppose he's even necessarily particularly evil. He just has a particular view of things that his country should have a have strategic depth, that, he, that taking the Ukraine maybe will improve the economy. And he probably, to, to a large extent, believes that Ukraine is really part of Russia. None of that changes the fact that the Ukrainians don't want to be part of Russia. Well, that's and he's very doing it on, starting to kill a lot of people for, for really an unacceptable reason. So, um, Helmut, one of our listeners has uh, asked a question and said, um, surely it's about oil. Ukraine, as far as I know, doesn't have any oil. All that happens is gas passes over Ukraine to go to Western Europe. <clears throat> what Ukraine has is massive agricultural potential and, and some raw materials other than oil. Yeah. There's probably some oil here and there. There certainly there was some in the, in the Black Sea area, but it's, it's not a major oil, oil producer. Uh, Russia is an oil and gas producer. Okay, so let's uh, get that one clear. And uh, when you talk about Ukraine, I mean, we know that it's called the breadbasket of of um, Europe. Uh, could there be any relation to that particular, or, or do you think that's not really under debate with uh, President Putin? Look, I don't, I don't think it's a major factor in yeah. his thinking anyway, yeah. <clears throat> but it could have a an impact on, on everybody else. Because it is a major food exporter, and a lot of countries are dependent on imported food, if the war goes on for any length of time and disrupts a, the production of oil, first the shipping of food, and then if it goes on longer, the actual production of food, yeah. it's going to impact on other countries that depend on food imports, which, of course, could suit Russia to an extent because they also have large, large agricultural areas, so they can up their exports unless they get blocked. But certainly it will have an, uh, an impact internationally because it's a major food exporter. That's something to bear in mind. Um, if, it, if it drags on for any length of time. You talk about it dragging on. We know that the Russians have now, um, the invasion is now in Kiev. I, mean, I read reports of bombs going off in Kiev itself. Uh, how, how, where will this go to? If you had to look at this, where do you think this could go to? How do you see this playing out? Heck, okay, whatever I say now may well be wrong. I, I genuinely did not think he would go as far as a full-scale invasion. Yes, I was wrong there. I think you know, he's probably got such a preponderance of military power that he can successfully invade and occupy the country. Whether he will then be able to occupy it peacefully and enjoy the fruits of this whole adventure is another question. Then we've got to bear in mind that the Ukrainians have never much liked the Russians for a long, long time. When Germany invaded Russia in 1941, the Ukrainians immediately sided with them. And when the Germans withdrew from 1943 onwards, they started vacating Ukraine. A guerrilla organization started fighting the Soviets that went on fighting them into the middle 50s, almost 10 years after the end of the war, which, which I think was with very little support from anybody, which really illustrates how the Ukrainians feel about the Russians. So he could wind up with a guerrilla war. Now, I'm not convinced of that because Ukraine is not that suited maybe to guerrilla operations. And also, we don't know how westernized and maybe, shall we say, soft Ukrainians have become. You know, are they still up to an extended guerrilla war? But it's a possibility, and that would really rob him of, of all the fruits of, of the entire adventure. So he wouldn't then have the economic benefit. It would cost money to run the place. He had taken all the pain of the invasion, the political pain of doing this, and he winds up with, with an insecure neighbor that doesn't like him and costs money. 
So that, that could quite easily happen. On the other hand, if, if there's enough resistance by the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian people as, as the, the Russian military move in, he might decide to do what China did when they invaded Vietnam and found it was going all that well. He might decide to declare himself the winner and, and pull out again. So, right, we won that, we showed them, we've learned, told them a lesson, and let's go home. Huh. Um, it's one way of doing it. I mean, quite clearly, from uh, and, and it's actually not quite clearly because you just never know, but in, in a lot of news reports that I've seen, Russian uh, citizens are not uh, supporting this uh, in a major way at all, which surely like undermines him, given what you were saying earlier about like a, a, a growing, um, an aging society, etc. I think I think that too. And there, there maybe he's suffering from the old problem of self-delusion that dictators tend to suffer from. Actually, believe everybody loves them. Yeah. Um, you know, and now nasty surprise that some don't, which then then he throws them in jail. Of course, the advantage of the big foreign military adventure is you can throw opponents in jail and make it seem that they're being unpatriotic and maybe a, a security risk and blah, blah. Yeah. You can toss them in the slammer. The, but I think it possibly has come as a little bit of an unpleasant surprise to him that so many people have turned out, despite the risk of being arrested, to protest against the war. Yeah, I mean, there's some, some extraordinary images around that. I mean, in closing, Helmut... Um, and this does come as a question from one of our listeners, is why have the West not declared Ukraine a NATO um, uh, organization? And, and I, I mean, that's something, I can't really imagine that they would just be able to do that overnight, but would that not be a possibility? <coughs> well, overnight, not that easy. That's why it's dragged on, because it's a fairly long-winded process. But the problem there is, I don't think NATO wants to get into, a, and the United States specifically, into a direct confrontation with, with Russia. Yeah. <clears throat> the direct confrontation is always then the risk of, of escalation, full-scale full scale war in Europe, maybe escalating to nuclear strikes, you know, tactical first, then maybe the whole bang-shoot nuclear exchange. And that, that's the scary one that puts everybody off. So I don't see them doing that. I think had, had NATO accepted Ukraine as a member some years back, yeah. If that had happened, then possibly this would not have happened at all, because then it would have been the other way around. Yeah. Uh, Putin would have had to say, okay, if I invade Ukraine, I would hold a NATO on my neck. And now it's a bit too late. And when the, when the crisis started, it was essentially too late. The, I think the, you know, in fact, the other factor there, of the European countries, now the United States still has a fairly powerful military, but of the European countries, partly with the exception of France, most of them disarmed dramatically after the end of the Cold War, yeah. and they simply don't have the military clout to do anything anymore. To give one, one extreme example, the German army went from having 3,500 tanks to having 225 tanks. And much like the South African Defense, National Defense Force, not all their tanks are operational. <laughs> you know, they've underfunded, so stuff doesn't work anymore, and they have very little of it. So the reality is there's not actually a heck of a lot that NATO could do unless the Americans come with major forces, which would take time and then raise the, the risk again. So it feels like uh, Ukraine is like piggy in the middle. Yeah, I'm afraid so. They are, they, I suppose in a way, they are the way, the sort of place that Poland used to be between Russia and Germany. You know, it's, yeah. it's, they're stuck there. There's an old, old saying from way back when, it says great powers do what they will and smaller powers suffer what they must. Wow. I'm afraid Ukraine is one of the smaller powers in this, in this case. 
Elmore Tightman, thank you so much for joining us. Defence analyst, hope it uh, gives a little bit more insight, certainly food for thought, with regards to that particular invasion. And certainly if you read the stories and look at the images, um, mothers with their children down in basements, parking lots, uh, as uh, Kiev and the rest of Ukraine is bombed. There are really shocking images as well. It's 7.50.